In the name of one God who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Amen. Who raised you? And what is it that you learn from them? I imagine that if we all stopped to answer the question, our experiences and our answers would be vast. And I imagine that we have many commonalities, including the fact that we were all taught life lessons that we want to bring forward with us into our adulthood. And we all have lessons that we were very happy to leave behind as we grew in new ways. And I wonder, as we think about this, if you could name the top two or three lessons that you know your parents or whoever raised you wanted you to bring forward into your adult life. What was it that was deemed most important in your family? We know from our scripture that the Apostle Paul was known to parent quite a few Christian communities. In his second letter to the Corinthians that we heard today, we hear the end of Paul's teaching, the end of his instruction to a young, impressionable, diverse in opinions, growing and somewhat fractious Christian community. Paul gives his final thoughts. Now, if you've ever been a letter writer like I used to be back in the day before email, you know that you always start with a greeting and then you get to the body of the letter where you tell what's been going on in your life while you're at camp or your health or any, some funny story that happened. It's where you share what's on your heart and mind as if you were in a conversation. And then you get to the conclusion. And the conclusion in a letter, it's not like an essay. You don't summarize everything you've just told everyone. The conclusion is where you leave the reader with what you want them to remember. If you ever got a letter from your parents or your grandparents, it's likely right before they sign off, they tell you that they love you the most, that they're proud of you. They exhort you to behave. And they tell you they cannot wait to see you. The conclusion of a letter, I think, is condensed love. Paul tells the church in Corinth, at this, what we read today, the top lessons he wants them to remember. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another always. Live in peace. The God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Imagine, Paul has written this letter, and above all else, above discussing mission and ministry, above discussing giving and defending his opinions on the church, Paul distills it down to these final instructions, this final hope. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. The God of love and peace will be with you always. Greet one another with a holy kiss. There is civil unrest in our country. 
And simultaneously, there is deep grief in our parish here at St. Cross due to the death of several community members. And given these two, there is a vast array of opinions within our church family about how we should engage these issues. And we have that vast array of opinions because we come from different films that gave us different lessons. And given these simultaneous truths, how is it that we can even begin to think about putting things in order? What does that even mean at a time like this? Is it necessary for us all to agree on everything? How can we live in peace when many in our country state that they have never known the meaning of that word? What does it mean to greet someone with a holy kiss in this time of COVID? And here is my attempt to respond to these vital questions as vital for us now as it was for the church in Corinth because they're about our common life together. Paul says to the Christians in Corinth, put things in order. While there may be different conclusions about what this means, I believe that we can agree on the fact that racism is wrong. Racism is a sin. And I don't say this to blame or to shame anyone. I say this because it is a statement of fact. To treat someone different based on the color of their skin, it goes against the fundamental love of God and that binds us together. I think we as a Christian community, hopefully we as Americans can agree on that fact. And I think that we can also agree that the death of George Floyd was unnecessary. Excessive, unnecessary force was used. And I think that we can also agree that my talking about this at all in a sermon from the pulpit at St. Cross makes many, if not most of us, deeply uncomfortable, ready to get up and walk out of the room and go get a cup of coffee in your kitchen instead of the parish hall. And yet, to put things in order, we have to stay in the room. We have to name our truths. We have to listen to one another who have different opinions from us and recognize that there can be multiple truths and experiences and points of view that exist side by side. For me, when I see the witness of thousands upon thousands of black Americans speaking their truth, it isn't for me to agree or disagree with their story. It is time for me to be quiet and to listen, to put things in order, to put things in God's order. We need to engage in holy listening which tells us to put away our automatic responses, put away the arguments we're quickly formulating in our head, put away our yes, but, and listen to each other's pain and fear and hope and yearning for what justice looks like.
Paul says to the church in Corinth, listen to my appeal. What Paul is really saying here is to exhort one another, to hold one another accountable to their faith. Paul is clear that it isn't the job of the leader of the congregation to hold people accountable, but for the members to hold one another accountable in our faith. But we cannot do that. We cannot hold one another accountable by pointing fingers or calling names or making snarky remarks and insults on our social media pages. No, no, we hold one another when we come into relationship with one another. And we cannot do that while name-calling is going on. We hold each other accountable by walking our faith journeys together in spite of our differences. And you and I, we must be open to challenging ourselves. We must be open to letting go of our hard-held opinions because if we don't, we cannot grow in our faith. If we do not engage change, we are not living the way of love. Now let me be clear, when we try to go deeper in our faith, when we try to engage big questions that sometimes make us uncomfortable, we will mess it up. We will say the wrong thing. We will have to work with one another on our forgiveness. But that's okay. As long as we all remember we are in this together. Paul says to the Christians in Corinth, agree with one another. It's almost funny that he writes that because the church in Corinth was notorious for not agreeing with one another and they had factions here and there and these opinions and that group. Does that sound familiar to our country right now? Paul was not telling the members of the church of Corinth to all be the same. No, if you remember in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul actually commends the church in Corinth for their diversity of gifts. The Corinthians' challenge is to resist creating a hierarchy of differences, to resist using their gifts to exercise advantage or power or authority over one another. Paul's vision of agreeing with one another is based on bringing about justice and respect. It is not just about loving your neighbor, but engaging your neighbor, being in relationship with your neighbor, helping your neighbor, caring for your neighbor. Paul says to the Christians in Corinth, Live in peace. While it might be a stretch for us today to imagine living in peace, living in peace is the hope and expectation that Paul has for the church in Corinth and that I would imagine Paul would have for us today if he was standing right here. Living in peace is attainable. It is attainable if we follow 
the teachings of Jesus. If we are again willing to let go of our individual certainties to allow ourselves to grow, grow deeper in the truth of Jesus' way. And last, Paul says to the church in Corinth, greet one another with a holy kiss. Who knows when we will again be able to embrace or hug, to share the kiss or the handshake of peace in the middle of our service. Our vestry is actually having a discussion, trying to figure out what sign it is we want to have for St. Cross to offer peace to one another when we return to our building. But for now we know the kiss of peace is not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. And in that, it is a kiss, it is a relationship, it is a spiritual connection that holds up one another on our journey. The kiss of peace is a spiritual one that is meant to hold us up as we fight racism in our country, hold us up as we get things wrong in trying to get to what is right and just. It means to hold one another up as we challenge ourselves to go deeper in our faith, our very faith of the Trinity that we celebrate this day. We are to hold one another up in our pain and in our grief and in our fear and in our anger. We are to hold up one another in our joy and our hope and our faith and most certainly in our love. As Christians who gather for worship today, we affirm our belief in a God who is a trinity of persons in a unity of being. We come together today because we have all been washed in the waters of baptism and have pro made promises that we will continue to live out, but always with God's help. We have been taught by our scriptures that there are fundamental questions before us. And so we ask ourselves today, what is it that we want to do to carry forward with us on our journey towards manifesting, bringing to, into being the love and the peace of God? Amen.